the luxury Airbnb space, you're thinking five, six, no, $1,000 night bookings. It's actually more attainable than you think. And we're going to break down how you can improve your guest experience and ultimately increase your average nightly rate. Coming up next with Jane Ng. Welcome to the Cashflow Happy Hour Podcast. I'm your host, Josh Baldovino. And on this show, you can join us live as we interview investors and share how they are increasing their cash flow. So grab a drink and let's get into it. Man, Jay, I just noticed that in that video, I had a beer, but we're talking Airbnbs, specifically wine country. Uh, uh, I can't even talk right now. Jane, uh, quickly, how are you doing today? And can you tell the viewers a little bit about you? Yeah, sure. Um, I am uh, I'm doing well. <laughs> um, my name is Jane. I live in the Bay Area with my husband and three little kids. Um, I used to work for various startups, launching, scaling, and managing large sales teams. Um, but I had to leave my career about six years ago when my oldest daughter was diagnosed with leukemia. Um, so I've been a stay-at-home mom since then, and about two years ago, um, we started investing in real estate. It was right around the time the pandemic hit. I think February of 2020 was our, our first purchase. Um, started with long-term rentals, and then about a year ago, became interested in short-term rentals. And the more I researched and looked into short-term rentals, I thought that my background and education would allow me to add value to the space. Um, so I have an undergrad degree in, in business and then a grad school degree in hospitality management. And obviously, neither are required to be successful in the industry, but um, they it doesn't hurt. <laughs> um, so I, I jumped right in. We bought our, our first short-term rental about a year ago, um, and it's been, a, it's been a fun ride. Okay, so you had long-term rentals pivoted them over to short-term rentals. And real quick, just for context for the audience, where is your long-term rentals or where are they? Um, we started with three outside of a suburb in New Orleans. Um, we have since sold those and now we have three long-term rentals in Arkansas. Okay. Um, none of which we have seen, but they're all doing fine. <laughs> and then you sold off I mean, according to your Instagram, which you can find that's on here, it's the investing mom on Instagram, but you also bought two Airbnbs in which market? So those are in central California near Paso Robles, um, the central California wine region. I love it. Okay. And I will also say full disclosure, the reason why I switched and I brought some wine out today is because the winery that I work for, Jay Lore, is the flagship tasting room is in Paso Robles. And so when I saw on Instagram that you were doing something in Paso, and I was like, oh, man, like, that could be super fun. Yeah. Um, and lo and behold, we were talking about different wine experiences that we could potentially tie in, and maybe you can give us an update later on in the show. Uh, but real quick, why don't you, how did you get into short-term rental investing, and kind of what inspired you to, to start that process? So um, what happened was, I want to say last year, spring break, so it was the first week of April, um, you know, we're in the Bay Area and for my kids spring break, we wanted to go somewhere in Central California to meet with my brother and his wife because they live in L.A. So we were thinking, OK, somewhere in the middle is, you know, Pismo Beach or Paso Robles, that area. And since mm -hmm. there were going to be seven of us, I was looking for Airbnbs and I realized 
A, there weren't a lot of options um, and B, a lot of options that were available were either the pictures were not appealing, like they were not professional listings. It's almost like someone purposely turned off the lights and closed the blinds to make the pictures extra dark. I mean, they were truly not professional photos. Um, and or I just didn't think the pricing justified the photos that we saw. And so we ended up staying in a hotel and it was fine, but I really yeah. wanted a nice Airbnb to, to stay in. And so I just felt like there was an opportunity for someone who, you know, if you really treat your short term rentals like a business um, in a lot of markets, I think there's a huge opportunity to be successful. Yeah, totally. I think, you know, as you're thinking about short term rentals for anyone that's watching, doing a competitive market analysis is really important. If, for example, let's take Joshua Tree. I love Joshua Tree and it's performing great, but every single unit in Joshua Tree is beautiful, like crazy done up. Like there are definitely catering to the LA hipsters and it's <laughs> hyper competitive versus, I don't know, no offense, but like if I look at some of the properties in the Smokies, like yes, they're cabins, but they're cabins that were furnished 20 years ago that are still making way too much money but is not so competitive in terms of what finishes you have to do now you for your property let's just real quick one of the reasons why i really wanted to bring you on to the show was one i love paso robles uh but two one thing that you are doing and i just pulled this up right now so let me share the screen is that i pulled off one of the this is one of your listings right now and if anyone who's watching wants to also either park one of jane's listings you can do so, uh, linking to her listings through Instagram. Uh, but you can pull up her listings. And for example, it looks like most of your weekends are actually, you know, in June are kind of already booked out. And then if I'm looking in July now, like that is a $1,300 a night booking. Yeah. Rate. Like, how, did you know it was going to perform that well off the bat? No, I didn't. So I did what, you know, many short-term rental investors do. I was on AirDNA and I, you know, went to Rentalizer. I put in the address, you know, number of bedrooms, how many people it's going to sleep in. It said this number. And so I actually, when I was running my numbers, I think I did like 80 or 90% of that total annual revenue because I wanted to be a little bit conservative. Um, so in full transparency, we've only been um, on Airbnb, Airbnb now for about 10 months. So I haven't mm -hmm. had a full year's worth of revenue, but uh, we're projected to almost double what we initially projected. Wow. Yeah. So it's <laughs> it's been doing um, it's been doing really well. So from AirDNA, your initial was it AirDNA or did you use another? Yeah, I, I was on AirDNA. Okay. So your initial one, AirDNA, probably let's just say a little over a year ago because you had the acquisition time too. You have now seen double. Yes. Uh, I'm also just taking this because there's another video that I'm reviewing how accurate air DNA is and some of those other ones are. So this could be a fun clip, but I appreciate it because I'm sure, you know, and if anyone out here too is is operating an Airbnb and if you've also seen, hey, I'm a little bit under air DNA or am I a little bit over what the projections are? I'd love to know in the comments just because it's, it's interesting to see. And obviously it really depends on the level of finishing. But today, Jane... I want, Jane is an awesome guest because I asked her to, Hey, do you want to be on our podcast? And I said, here's, you know, the outline that I'm going to fill out. She came back like an hour later with just bullet points of tips. And I was like, Oh my God, you did my job for me. So <laughs> thank you for that. So today we're going to talk about 10 tips, how to increase your average nightly rate. And if 
you know, depending on your location, if you can get to over a thousand dollars a night, awesome. But you know, there are a few different things that you can even do with your listing right now that I know that Jane has come up with that'll really help improve your product that you're giving to the customers. So Jane, how about let's just jump into that first tip that I have here and that's the professional listing. So tell me everything you think about what a listing should have and should look like. Yeah, so um, I guess to take one step back, like if you think about a luxury experience for the guest, I think, I mean, yes, the actual property needs to be nice and clean and you have to have nice amenities and decor and all that stuff. But there's a lot of other things that go into providing this luxurious experience. And it, in my opinion, it starts with kind of the first time a guest has an interaction with your property. And that's not the moment they step into your house. It's the moment they see your listing. So whether you get most of your bookings from Airbnb, direct, Verbo, Instagram, whatever it is, like that needs to be your priority in terms of making that as professional as possible. Um, everyone has heard multiple times, you need to have professional photos. I cannot mm -hmm. stress that enough. And some people will say, well, I have the most recent iPhone and the photos are great and they are, but if you yourself are not a trained photographer, you won't know the angles and like the different lighting and everything that's required to really capture what the guest is wanting to see. And so pay the $300 and get professional photos, please. <laughs> Um, the next thing I would say is when you, um, describe your listing, be as detailed as possible. This is not where less is more, like more is more. So just don't, don't do like a word dump where everything is just kind of like mumbo jumbo, but try to organize your, um, description as best as possible. So I think I have mine organized by each kind of space. So I, I have all the bedrooms I have like, okay, quick summary and then um, rooms and sleeping arrangements. So if you look at pictures, yes, you can tell like a bedroom, yeah, it probably looks like there's a queen size bed or a king size bed. But if you have two floors, you won't know which bedroom is upstairs and which bedroom is downstairs, or maybe all the bedrooms are upstairs or downstairs. And that's something that guests would want to know. So mm -hmm. I would detail that as much as possible. Um, honestly, if you know the size of your TV, just put that on there. Um, if you have multiple TVs, list that you have multiple TVs. Um, if you have certain rules, um, I would definitely list that out. Like I, I think um, the more often a guest sees your house rules, the more likely they will follow them. And or if they don't, and you mention that they have not followed your rules, they can't really be surprised, right? Like if you kind of have it everywhere in a very professional way, um, they can't really complain about it because you've communicated it to them a few times. But um, I've had a lot of people um, come back to me and say, hey, you know, your description is the most detailed I've ever seen. And therefore I didn't have to ask the typical three or four questions that I would ask other hosts because their listings are not as detailed. And so again, this is also it, Save time for you because you won't have to answer a lot of these repeat questions from guests. Yes. Um, and it just kind of tells your guests that, hey, I, I'm taking this seriously. I'm like running it as a business. Mm -hmm. um, and again, this is the first touch point for the guest um, in their, their experience of your property. I've looked at a lot of listings, excluding my own. And yes. this by far is the most detailed. Like if you also had an FAQ section that is also including in your description. So kudos to you. And I'm sure that helps. And also, and if you're, again, trying to cater to an audience who has the ability to pay for over $1,000 a night, and again, this is peak season, 
right? But still, it's that's a lot of money. Yeah. Like they are, they are going to be very specific and want to know answers to a lot of questions. And the more you can just give them up front, that only helps provide value to them that it's worth it. Yes, absolutely. Okay, I love it. All right, and then the last of the tip here that you had here was action verbs. What do you mean by that? So um, when you're writing your listing, um, I would encourage you to start some of your sentences with action verbs. Like one of the ones that we have is enjoy a glass of local wine as you're sip, you know, sitting by the pool or hot tub from J-Lore. <laughs> um, so the guests can actually envision themselves doing that action. And if, they're, if they know there's a pool and a hot tub, and yeah, I want to have a glass of wine by the pool and hot tub. And oh, there's a ton of local wineries. Like I'm going to figure out which winery I'm going to go to. So those action verbs kind of help the guests envision themselves in your property. Um, so they're more likely to book. I love it. Okay, so your tip number two here that we have is amenities. So. Yes. Um, so when I think of amenities, so again, the big picture here is think about the guest experience, right? Like how can you wow the guest? How can you surprise and delight them with amenities? So there are some amenities that I think are very basic. So this is your shampoo, conditioner, body wash, hand mm -hmm. soap, dish soap, laundry detergent. Like those are basic amenities you have to provide. But what are some things you can include um, to go above and beyond? So something we do is in each bathroom, we have a little box um, that says, please take what you need and leave the rest for the next guest. And inside that box are um, individual toothbrushes, toothpaste, razors, earplugs, um, the Neutrogena makeup removers. And I cannot tell you how many guests, probably like 80 or 90% of my guests have commented on that little box. Um, not some of them have actually forgotten those items and others haven't, but they're like, oh, next time I come here, I know that I'm taking care of and I don't have to make a last minute run to CVS at 10 p.m. That is okay. I will say from a host myself, like I was like, oh, this would be a really cute idea, but I had no idea what would actually make sense in terms of execution. That is such a simple, thoughtful way to almost make it a communal experience, but also know that you're thinking about what if they did forget something. Yeah. And if some people have said, oh, if you offer free stuff, everyone's just going to take it like they're going to dump that box each time. And maybe that's true. But I think that little note that I put on each one that says, please take what you need and leave the mm -hmm. rest for the next guest. I think that kind of makes them think like, oh, OK, if I don't need this, I'm, I'm just going to leave it. And the next guest can enjoy this toothpaste that I don't need. <laughs> so yeah. um, for, for us, that's been that's been successful. Um, and then just little things like if you, I feel like most people offer hand soap. I think there's a huge difference in guest perception of like just offering those, like a container from Target that says dial on it and refilling mm -hmm. that each time versus buying a $2 clear container from Target and just labeling that that says soap and refilling that from a guest perspective. I think there's a huge difference in terms of how that makes them feel. And it also, those clear um, containers, it tells your cleaner when it needs to be refilled. Yeah. Um, so that's what I would recommend for, for soap. And there they are, right there. You have unbranded, clean, aesthetic containers <laughs> on the bathroom counter. Okay, move on to tip number three that you have. So supplies and household items. Yeah, so when I remember when I first, um, when I was first furnishing um, our Airbnb, a lot of the, you know, Facebook groups and stuff I read, they're like, oh, just go to Goodwill, buy the used stuff because it's going to break and it's going to get dirty. They don't care. 
they don't take care of your stuff, which sometimes is true. But again, if you're trying to provide this luxury experience, I would not put new stuff in there. I would put quality, um, maybe quality stuff that's not going to bake the break the bank. So it doesn't need to be from Williams Sonoma. I get a lot of my stuff from Costco, some from Ikea, mm -hmm. um, a lot from from Amazon. Um, but just it needs to be clean and it needs to be durable. And yes, things are going to break your wine glasses, your mugs, your cups are going to break. So always have some extra in the supply closet. But um, as long as they look nice and they're clean and durable, um, just please don't buy uh, stuff from Goodwill <laughs> to put in your in your luxury uh, in your luxury rental. And then um, one thing that one area of the house I would focus on in terms of supplies is the kitchen. And so I think a lot of times when people stay at Airbnbs, they feel like they need to bring everything, right? They need to bring the salt and pepper and oil and butter and sugar and everything. And I think just providing some of the essentials is, is huge. Um, and I found a lot of my guests, they if they bring their own salt and pepper, they just leave it there. Mm -hmm. So I tell my I tell my cleaners like depending on the quality of what's left and how clean it is like some they will toss and some um, they will leave but I think just including some of those basics is um, just a nice a nice touch. That has been one of the interesting things to see now is now that we've had a few guests in our Airbnb when we went to go visit and we opened up the kitchen cabinets and just the amount of like different seasonings, sauces, supplies that people will leave. Yeah. I'm like, man, like I've never actually tried that before. <laughs> That's gross. Don't use that. Yeah. <laughs> I'm <gonna> try it. <laughs> yeah. Um, um, one thing I, I would recommend is at the bare minimum once a quarter to do an inventory check. And so if you are relatively local to your property, you can do it yourself. If you're not local, then either have your cleaner do it or have a friend or your realtor or someone you trust walk through and make sure to throw away anything that's broken or dirty and um, know what needs to be replaced. Um, you, you will be surprised at how um, how dirty some of these items get. So um, I, I remember for our, um, our first rental, I think Black Friday, I bought a ton of bakeware um, and like, you know, pans and like sheet pans and all this stuff. And they were, you know, average, probably average price, like pretty good quality, mm -hmm. but average price. We stayed in that property about six weeks later and they had all burnt. They went from being silver to dark brown and yeah. no one told me. And so um, we threw everything away and, and purchased new ones. So just make sure to do an inventory check on a regular basis. Yeah. And kind of on the same note as inventory, another tip that I'll give other operators is make sure that you're taking pictures of everything so that if you have certain different supply closets, you have a picture that you can send guests to say, hey, it's in this closet, you'll find these towels or whatever it is. Because that would just, instead of going, it's the third you know, drawer in the, in the hallway, yes. it's easier for them to visualize. Okay, I love it. Okay, tip number four you have is labels. And actually, yep. let me pause you there. If anyone who's watching and you're live, thank you all so much. Let us know in the comments where you invest in, because I'd love to, to just see what the audience is investing in. But also, if you have any questions specifically, Put them in the comments as well, and we'll do a couple Q and A sections throughout the presentation today. Uh, but Jane's tip number four is labels. Um, so this is one of my favorite tips because I've never been to an Airbnb that has labels, um, and I've had a lot of guests tell me how much they appreciate our our labels. And so for me, it's all about 
as a guest, like when I go into an Airbnb and I walk into the kitchen looking for one cup, how many cabinets and drawers do I need to open to find that one cup? But if every cabinet and drawer is labeled, I can just go to that one place where the cup is and open it and find my cup and close it and be done. Um, so at the bare minimum, I would recommend to label all of your cabinets and drawers in your kitchen. Um, if there's something that's empty, then don't label it. We have a handful of drawers that are empty and they just don't have a label. But it also tells your cleaners where to put things when the dishes are clean, um, especially if you don't have the same cleaner that goes all the time. So it's both great for the guests and for um, and for the cleaners. But again, going back to kind of managing the guest experience in your property, this really just kind of gives them a sense of ease. Like, oh, Jane really thought about my experience in this kitchen and she went out of her way, it took her five minutes, but it, she went out of her way to label um, everything in here. And I do the same for light switches. Um, you will often have multiple light switches in a row and you don't know which light switch turns on the kitchen light or the living room light or the fan um, or the garbage disposal. And so you end up touching all of them. <laughs> um, so again, super simple, just label um, as much as you can. So what my process after the Airbnb is set up, I have my little labeler. I walk around the entire house probably two or three times <laughs> pretending to be a guest. And I walk in each room and I say, okay, well, if I walk in this room, what am I gonna do? I'm probably gonna turn on the light. If it's mm -hmm. hot, I'm gonna wanna turn on the fan. Um, and just go through that process and then figure out what you think should be labeled to kind of help the guest navigate your space. Yeah. And there's a, I found a quick Google search is you can just get a label and like she said, get it for each of the outlets. And we do that for ours as well. Actually, Ash did it. I'm not going to take credit for that. Um, and we actually have ours labeled on the inside. Again, this is a Google search, but... Mm -hmm. Uh, we have it labeled where the glasses should go. And I think this really just helps the cleaners because um, on the outside, we don't have it. But the outside is a good tip. Uh, okay, your next tip that you have here is letting your guests know that it's been cleaned. But you have a note here that says without letting them know it's been cleaned. What do you mean by that? <laughs> um, so this is something I learned um, in, in grad school. And we were talking about what what do hotels do to communicate to the guests that that room has been professionally cleaned without telling them it's been professionally cleaned? And so the easiest thing that the housekeepers do is they um, put like they fold a toilet paper in a really cute way. So it's like a rose or a flower or something. And that tells you, oh, a housekeeper has been in this bathroom and I'm the next person that has stepped in after mm -hmm. the housekeeper cleaned. And so that's a way to tell the guest without telling them that that space has been cleaned. So that's a super easy one. Another thing we do that I think is a really big deal, but I, again, have never seen this in any of the Airbnbs that I've stayed in, the, um, the dish sponge. <laughs> um, every Airbnb I've been to, it's either a used dish sponge or it's, I don't know if it's used or not. Like it looks mm -hmm. clean, but the only way I can tell if it's clean or not is to either pick it up and touch it or smell it. And I really don't want to do either one if it's dirty. And so what we do is we provide a new dish sponge, but we leave the wrapper on. Yep. Right? So that tells the guests without having to say anything to them, like this is a brand new dish sponge and it's super easy. Um, I would probably pick like three or four things you can do around the house to let them know this space has been professionally cleaned and you are the next person that has walked in here afterwards. So whether it's folding towels a certain way, 
um, you know, a, a tissue box or whatever it is, just like pick a handful of things you can do. I think, I think the dish sponge is my favorite because those are really gross. Um, and even if someone only stays for one night, we toss that and we put a new one in, it costs you five cents. <laughs> um, so that is something I would highly recommend. And yeah, I mean, that is, especially with Airbnbs, people are, you're asking them to either do their own dishes if they're staying for a longer period of time, like we can get them individually wrapped. I mean, I'm sure like Q-tips and other things like that would be another thing where <laughs> you just know it's not this communal bunch that you have individually wrapped things that are just for you. Yeah. Um, Love it. Okay. So the next tip that we have here, then get back to my banners, is safety. What tips do you have for safety? <laughs> um, I know people are probably thinking like, what does safety have to do with charging a thousand dollars a night? Um, I don't I don't think safety is talked about enough in this space, to be honest. Um, if you think about hotels um, and like other commercial buildings, like they have to go through a whole safety checklist process. Like us as operators, we don't go through that. We just mm -hmm. get a property ready and, and put it up. But I still think it's our responsibility to ensure that the guest is safe. And so I think there are little things, like little hints and signs and things you can do to let the guests know like, hey, I've gone out of my way to make sure this is a safe space for you. And it kind of like helps them to, to relax a little bit. So. A few of the things that we do, again, super simple. If you have a two-story house, I would put a fire escape ladder on the second floor. You can buy them for $20 on Amazon. Um, God forbid there's a fire or some kind of an emergency and someone needs to jump out the second floor window. Now they have a little ladder. Um, I would have first aid kits on every floor and let them know where those are. Um, fire extinguisher. Um, if you have a pool or spa, it's I think actually for insurance reasons, you have to have certain signs around your pool and spa to let mm -hmm. the guests know that, you know, A, like my my pool is only five feet. There's no diving because it's only five feet. If it's five feet on one side, but 10 on the other, then there's no diving on one side. You can dive on the other. Um, we actually have kind of gone above and beyond. I have a no lifeguard on duty sign. That's kind of obvious, right? There's no lifeguard on duty. But again, if there's an accident in your pool, what the guest would want to do is prove that you as the host has been negligent. And if you have all these signs, there's kind mm -hmm. of no way that they can prove that you've been, you've been negligent. So again, it's just kind of going out of your way to let the guests know like the pool area is safe, the inside of the house is safe. Um, we actually have, um, so that the, the picture that you have, the pool fence we put um, after we purchased the house because um, you know, we have a lot of kids that come to our properties mm -hmm. and that kind of prevents the kids from running into the pool without um, without parent supervision. Um, but inside the house for, for our two short-term rentals, I have two like 16 by 20 um, signs kind of near the front door where everyone can see it. I don't think there's a picture of it on here, but um, we have it like nicely written up. It's, it's on like professional, like poster uh, paper or whatever. One is house rules and the other has emergency info. And on the emergency info one, we have like the home address, the location of the nearest hospital and kind of all of your emergency information you would need. Um, so again, just another step to let the guests know like, hey, if something happens in this house, like we have information for you to, to stay safe. Yeah. And I think when you're thinking about luxury experiences, what really makes it luxury is when the guest realizes that you as a host have thought about this without actually them 
realizing that it was a necessity. For example, for us, in terms of the safety tip, we also have that in our guidebook as a printed guidebook that's there. And it says, hey, if you're like flip to page four, it says if you, you know, here are your closest hospitals, here's the fire department number um, and all of that. And hopefully, right, the guest goes, oh, man, they were a little bit more thoughtful, which then helps build that luxury experience. And especially for families, right, they would, of course, appreciate the extra safety measures. Right. Um, and if you have a pool, what I did just learn is that if you have a pool in California, there are like eight safety measures you have to have in order for it to get a, to be permitted. And yeah. in a short-term rental, at least in Joshua Tree area, you have to have two of the eight safety measures. So yeah, it's, I think it's the same throughout the state. I just, I learned about that because we just got a hot tub permitted today. So there you go. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm going to officially have it on the listing. Um, all right. So tip number seven is stay at the house a few times a year. Yeah, this one, um, I can't, I can't stress enough. Even if you are managing from afar, um, you know, if you're, I don't know, like a couple states away, I would still try to go out of my way to stay at your property or have someone stay at your property because I guarantee you will learn something about the space that you wouldn't know unless you slept there. So one of the, um, an example at, at our property is both of our homes are two stories and there mm -hmm. are rooms on both the first and second floor. Um, in both of the homes, the temperature is different downstairs and upstairs overnight. Um, and we wouldn't have known that if, if we didn't stay. And so, um, you know, for the first property, we ended up putting a mini split upstairs because it was too hot without that mini split. Um, for the second property, we, we had to like redo the entire HVAC system anyways. And it was still the same way because of the way the ducting, um, the original ducting was, but um, that's just an example. And, and so what we do is we tell the guest, um, I don't remember if I have it in my description or their check-in information, but I tell them like, hey, FYI, um, it's about three to four degrees cooler downstairs than it is upstairs. So the, the actual nest thermostat is upstairs. So they're welcome mm -hmm. to change that to whatever temperature they want, but we tell them ahead of time it's cooler downstairs. Um, so the, and it, like, you know, you could have weird noises at night. Like maybe you have deer that pop up just in, in the middle of the night, which we do in, in, our, in our region, um, but just like, you know, little perks about the house, you won't know until, um, until you stay there. And when you are staying there, I would do what you think the guest is going to do. Don't just sleep there and leave the next morning. You should cook, right? Is your stove working properly? Is your oven working properly? Do the laundry, um, take a shower. If you have multiple bathrooms, like I make sure my family showers in every single bathroom just to make mm -hmm. sure the water pressure is accurate. Like they're, they all get hot. Um, we utilize the entire house um, just to make sure everything's functioning. I love it. The additional thing I would add, and this is kind of just funny, just because I had my dad come with us last month to check out our Joshua Tree Airbnb. And he did the usual dad thing, which is now he looked at like every single nook and cranny. I remember one day he's like, hey, Josh, come over here. And he was like looking at the drain in one of the bathrooms. He was like, it's a little crooked. So then he like grabbed a hacksaw and just started like adjusting the outlet pipe. And I was like, man, like those are the only things that, you know, dads can do. So if you have someone handy in the family, bring them along with you yeah. to stay at your Airbnb because then they'll start tinkering around and, you know, they'll find all those loose, anything yeah. that's installed. Yes, for sure. Um, okay. So before we jump into the last three tips that we have, uh, again, if you are watching this live, thank you guys all so much. If you're just tuning in, 
Uh, Jane has two Airbnbs in Atascadero, which is a little bit south of Paso Robles, so in the central coast of California. Um, I'll quickly show what the second listing looks like, just to give everybody some context of the second listing. One, I love the color scheme, by the way. Thank you. Uh, the white and black, of course, is super trendy right now. Um, very modern, very minimal, but like it's just tasteful enough. Um, out of curiosity, you know, between the two, how much did you spend furnishing the units? Ooh, good question. Um, so they're both four bed, three bath, but the second one is smaller. So it only has one living space versus the other one has two living spaces. Um, I would say it was like 15 to 20 each. Wow. Like the smaller one, probably 15, the, the larger one, 20. That's a very efficient uh, furnishing. Oh, is it? Oh, thank you. <laughs> yeah. Ours is a 4-2 in Joshua Tree. And I think we spent 35 on that one. Oh, wow. Definitely not efficient. <laughs> well, so for me, I, I am not an interior decorator designer. Um, mm -hmm. You do not want to see the inside of my house. But um, for like my goal with these properties is exactly what you said, which I'm so glad you said it. It's like minimal. It's like clean, simple, and modern. Like, I don't want it to look like a grandma's house. Like, I want all the furnishing to be modern, but I'm not going to have, like, a fancy Instagrammable wall, which I think are super cool. Like, truly, if I was a designer, I would have that, but that's just not me and how I want to furnish these places. And I'm also trying to, like, minimize potential issues. Like, if I have a super fancy room or, like, really fancy decor and it breaks how can I replace that, right? Sometimes you can't replace it at all. And so things that are easily replaceable and um, just simple and clean. <laughs> I mean, that's gonna go back to almost my opening point that I came up with was if you're comparing markets and you're looking at where you wanna buy an Airbnb, again, going back to Joshua Tree, like I, if I didn't put a feature wall inside there, we would not get the amount of clicks that we do on our listing because every single listing is beautiful. In other parts, like the Central Coast, some of the listings, again, are just grandma's house. Like it's that extra room or that AD, ADU in the back that they're using and they just use the cell phone picks. So if you're clean and you're modern and you can have a space that's big enough for a couple families, like that's why you're crushing it in that market. Um, I do have a random question actually for you in terms of your listings. I noticed that you actually in both listings have a kid's room. Yes. I'm assuming that it has to be by design. Why is that? Well, I have three kids. And so, <laughs> um, you know, it, the first one started because we truly wanted to also use it for ourselves. And um, mm -hmm. I don't know any child that doesn't like bunk beds. And so we're like, well, there has to be a bunk bed in there. And we purposely got one where it's a twin on top and a full on the bottom. So you can sleep three instead of two. Um, but what I also found when I was doing my market research and looking for, you know, larger properties in the area, and I would click like, it was either like a family friendly button or a kid friendly button. And there weren't many, but there are a lot of, if you have room for, you know, eight to 12 people, a lot of those are going to be families. And so I feel like mm -hmm. when parents see these pictures of rooms that are designed for kids, they're a little bit more likely to, to purchase or to, to book it. And we have books, um, kids' toys, um, like just like little decor items. We have like a little kids' table and chair and like chairs in, in both of the, the properties. So 
honestly, like kids can stay in their room the entire time. Like this particular one, our, our second one, um, the kids room is the largest room. And so it also has its own TV, ensuite bathroom. Um, so the kids don't leave that room when they're there. Wait, is there two ensuites in this house? Or no, this the master? This is the only one. And the reason um, this ended up being the kids' room is because we purchased this house from a flipper. And okay. so this room wasn't a room before. They turned it into a bedroom. And so the layout with where the windows are, it's kind of awkward where you can't fit more than a full-size bed. Mm -hmm. You can't comfortably fit a, a queen or a king. And so we didn't think it made sense to be like the master bedroom, mm -hmm. uh, even though the bathroom makes it, the ensuite bathroom makes it the master. And so we said, hey, we can do a bunk bed with three twins because there's a trundle like under the under the bottom. So mm -hmm. you can fit three, um, three people there. And we just turn it into a fun, a fun kids room. I like it. That is really smart. That is unique. And I mean, I've seen listings where it's the opposite, where they say no kids. No kids. Yeah. Yeah. And I was thinking about them. Like, why would they not? And I understand, like, kids will walk around with a crayon and they'll draw on your walls, but you just need a, you know, magic eraser and you just walk around erasing that. It's, um, I, I don't, I don't think it's really that much more damage. Like, I don't think the kids in our, in our um, Airbnbs have really done any damage. If anything, it's the pets, but um we've uh we've had a lot of families stay at our properties and they've been very happy gotcha okay well let's jump into the last three tips that we have so tip number eight is be a good neighbor how do you how do you end up being especially you live i would assume maybe three and a half maybe four hours away from yeah three and a half hours yeah so um again this is one of those things where people are probably like what does this have to do with luxury rentals um, so what I mean by be a good neighbor is to be a good, as the owner of that house, assuming you're not doing rental arbitrage and you actually own that property, be good to the neighbors around the property, because no matter like how perfectly you manage your, your, uh, Airbnbs, probably at least once or twice a year, you're going to have some difficult guests, like whether they're partying late at night or smoking when they're not supposed to like, so your neighbors are going to be unhappy. Um, mm. I can talk about that for a very long time, but um, when we first, uh, we, when we were furnishing the property, we stayed for about a week. Um, we met the neighbors behind us, next to us, and in, in front of us, and we invited them over for like a pizza party, a pool party. You know, got all their phone numbers, got to know them, and you know, they were a little bit like, "Oh, you guys aren't going to actually live here." We're like, well, you know, we'll be here as often as we can. Um, but they kind of understood like what it was going to be, and. Mm -hmm. Um, they have reached out to me twice um, on, on different occasions about, about some noise issues. And both times I was super prompt with communicating back with them, you know, with resolving the issue as, as fast as I could, but also being really apologetic. And so when I'm there, and again, you don't have to do this, but during the holidays, I'll get them a gift. Mm -hmm. um, sometimes it's a gift card or it's like a gift basket or whatever it is. And they always tell me, they're like, you don't have to give us gifts or pay us for your bad guests. Like, this is not your responsibility. I'm like, well, actually it kind of is, you know, like I want to make sure you're happy because a bad neighbor could also be a bad experience for the guests. Like if you have a consistently unhappy neighbor, he or she could just, I don't know, be playing really loud music the entire time the guest is there, just be really annoying, um, you know, knock on their door for a little bit of music that they're playing at 3 p.m. Like you could have like really, really annoying neighbors versus a happy neighbor would 
you know, they might even do the opposite. They might go out of their way to introduce themselves. Like my, my real estate agent, whom you also know, she has an Airbnb really close to mine. Um, and her, the, the neighbors around her Airbnb, there's this one old guy, every time a guest checks in, he knocks on the door and he says, hi, I'm Bob. I'm, I live next door. I'm friends with the owner of this Airbnb. And I just wanted to introduce myself because you're probably going to see me like washing my car, or mowing the lawn. Like you're going to see me around during your stay. And I just wanted to say hi. And in his opinion, this is his way of preventing an issue because the guest has met the next door neighbor and he's really nice. And so more likely than not, they're not going to throw a party at midnight. <laughs> I don't know. Um, yeah. So I think, you know, happy neighbors can really enhance. Um, it, it could enhance the guest experience or it could tarnish the experience. Yeah, I totally agree. And I think one of the scariest things to do when you're starting your Airbnb and you secure that new property is to go and go door knocking to the neighbors and to say, Hey, we just bought this property. We are going to short-term rental it. That's not usually how the conversation should go, but you can imagine that cold door knock of, oh man, I thought I was going to have a nice family who's going to take over the house, but now it's going to be in their mind. All they see is raging partiers, especially if you think in terms of Jane's Airbnb, she's in wine country. So yes, people do indulge sometimes and aren't necessarily the best stewards of their drink but you have to go out there and you have to door knock and you have to meet them and meet them as people. So that way they can at least give you the chance to fix it before they have the police and or city shut you down. Yeah. Thank you. Um, okay. So last two tips, we'll do tip number nine and I have another follow-up question for you. So quick tips on communication, Jane. Um, so I think this is the most important, like whether you're trying to have a luxury experience or not as a host, I think this is probably the best way you could get a five-star review from, from that guest. And so a few things on communication. One, um, it needs to be fast. Like you can't wait 20 hours to message a guest back. Um, I think Airbnb dings you if you don't respond after or within 24 hours. I try to respond in five or 10 minutes. Mm -hmm. Um, if I dishes and I hear my phone ding, I will leave the dishes and I will answer the message. The only time I don't is if I'm driving, but really any other time um, messaging back on Airbnb is, is a priority for me. And almost every single guest that I've had has mentioned that, oh, wow, like I've never had a host that communicates as quick as you do. And they're, you know, super, super appreciative of it um, because something is going to go wrong at your property at one point or another, like the lights are going to go out or there's going to be a little leak or your TV is going to break or we had a dead gopher in our swimming pool a few weeks ago, like something's going to happen. And um, if you are super prompt with your communication and apologetic and kind of like, you know, walking the guests through kind of what's going to happen next and how you're going to mitigate the the issue that they're having, um, more likely than not, you will still get that that five star review. Um, so I would highly, highly recommend, uh, be very prompt with your communication. And then, um, the second thing with communication is to send automated messages. Um, I think a lot of people use hospitable, um, used to be smart BNB, I think. Mm -hmm. Um, so I use that to send, um, I think I have three automated messages. So the first one is as soon as they book, they get like a thank you for booking, um, message that includes a link to our local guidebook. Because the next question that guests always ask me is, 
can you recommend a few local restaurants or like local wineries or kid friendly places? I'm like, you know what, here's a link. Don't ask any of these questions. If you click on this, you can find all that information. Um, the second one is a welcome message. They get about three days before they check in. And this is like as thorough as my listing description. So it has the address, the Wi-Fi info, the you know, key code information, um, house rules, like how to use the pool, how to use the spa, like kind of where everything is in the house. Again, what you're trying to do is give them enough information so they don't have to ask you one-off questions. Um, and so I've obviously had to like tweak that message as people start asking certain questions and then that message gets tweaked. Um, and then the one that I've added recently is to message them their first morning. So right mm -hmm. after their first night. So I initially thought this was overkill. I'm like, I don't want, as a guest, I wouldn't want like so many messages from my host, like unprompted, but I added it a few months ago and I was pretty surprised at the positive feedback that I got. So I would say about one out of 10 guests, like don't respond at all, but nine out of 10 will respond. And almost all of them will say, oh, think like we love the space. I like, thank you so much for checking in. Um, I've had a couple people say, thanks for checking in, but like we have this issue. And so mm -hmm. you have that opportunity to resolve that issue for them right away to again, kind right, of enhance right. that experience for them versus like to them, they might think like, oh, this is not that big of a deal. I don't really want to bother her about it now, but that feeling might kind of linger throughout their stay, but you're just kind of giving them an opportunity to let you know if there is something that you can address for them. Um, yeah. And if you do, then it's a great experience. Yeah. I mean, I would say that extra message where it sounds bothersome, if they just mention, oh, by the way, I noticed this, that gives you the opportunity, one, to say, hey, do you want to send someone out there to get that addressed? And so that you don't have to do that post on the checkout if they put in the review so they could almost eliminate that from the review or say no that's okay you then have the opportunity to now send a 30 dollars instacart little gift bag of goodies and snacks say hey i'm so sorry about xyz problem you know here's some snacks for your next day of wine tasting or whatever it may be um i like it a lot i am gonna throw i know i promise you no off the wall questions but i didn't want to ask this just for just for fun, because you know that I titled this as, you know, 10 tips to increase your average nightly rate. And one of the things that is, of course, really impressive is your average nightly rate, which for those who are tuning in right now, if I'm looking in the middle of summer, which is peak season for Pastor Robles, she's charging $1,300 a night. Can I ask you real bluntly, why do guests pay $1,000 a night? Like, what is it about your property, your listing that you think guests are willing to pay that much? Um, that's a good question. And I, um, I thought about that before I decided how much to charge, right? Cause mm -hmm. to me, I have to justify to myself why my property is worth $1,300. Like if I don't think it's worth that much, I'm not going to charge that much. Mm -hmm. So this that particular property where we're charging 1300 a night, it sleeps 11. And so we have one of two types of guests. Typically we have 11, uh, girlfriends who are coming for a birthday party or a bachelorette party. And in that sense, if they're staying two nights, um, it's, you know, averages about $130 per person per night. And so if you think about that for them, they're like, oh, to hang out with my friends with a private pool, private hot tub, we're able to cook. Um, we're super close to wine country. $130 a night for me is not bad at all, right? Um, or we get families, right? So we typically get three families. Some have 
one kid, some have two kids, but a lot of times we get three families. And for them, you know, if they were to get a hotel where you don't have a private pool, you don't have a private spa and you can't cook, you would easily still pay, you know, $400 per room, right? For like a, a maybe three and a half star, not even four star hotel, like three and a half star hotel in the summer, you pay $350, $400. And so that's how I was able to, to justify that price and it's booking. And so I know that the demand is there at, at that price. Um, but I also feel like the cleanliness, the amenities, and the level of communication and attentiveness they're going to get from me, like that all justifies that price, right? In addition to the number of people. If that house can only sleep six, I don't think it justifies 1300 yeah. But because yeah. it can sleep 11, and the, like when I calculate it, the number makes sense. Um, that's why it's... At that price point yeah and i will say just traveling in that area for work frequently looking at hotel costs in the summer like i remember there was one night for a la quinta hotel which is your how, how would we categorize that in the hotel world right that's just yeah. your corporate travel usual hotel that's usually yeah. like 150 bucks a night like in the summer midweek was close to 300 a night for yeah. like your just regular budget corporate travel hotel rooms so if you have a elevated experience with a private pool where you can split between families. Like that's why doing your market research is really important because again, you can look at, well, what are the alternatives? And there's not many alternatives in the four bedroom space with a private pool, with a spa, like you've hit like a nice little sweet spot. And I know, cause I've also looked in the area and I haven't found one as good as yours. <laughs> so awesome. Okay, so the last tip you have is how are you ensuring that you're getting a five-star review at the end of it? Because of course, reviews are everything. And you actually, I'm looking at this right now on this property. It looks like you have a five-star average. And that means you basically have five stars all throughout for the last 40 reviews. So kudos to you. Thank you. And I know at one point I'm going to get less than a five-star review and that's okay, right? There's only so much you can do. But um, a few things that I do that I think maybe could be different because um, so I've talked to a few other hosts and, and they weren't th doing this. Um, I, if, if a guest doesn't review me like within 24 hours of checking out, I will review them. As long as my cleaners haven't told me, Hey, like everything is broken. Like if I don't hear from my cleaners after they've cleaned, then I know I'm good to go to give the guest a five-star review. And so usually kind of that second day, I will review the guest and say, you know, I'll review them and then I'll message them and I'll say, hey, hope you got home safely. Um, thank you for being a wonderful guest just to let you know I left you a five-star review. Um, sometimes I leave it at that depending on what my communication with them was during their stay or I'll take it a step further and say, you know, if you also had a five-star experience with us, I would appreciate a review. Otherwise, like, please message me and let me know how we could have enhanced your stay because not not everyone might have had that five-star experience. And if they didn't, I truly want to know why not and what we could have done differently to, to make it five stars. Um, I would say probably three out of four times they will review us back. Some people don't review anybody and that's fine. Um, but a lot of times they, they will review us back. And I will tell you a little trick. Some people know this, some people don't. I have actually had two less than five-star reviews and those have been removed. 
Um, so one was pretty recently, someone wrote me a four-star review, but the comments were great. It was like, she had the best time of her life. And I was like, oh, why was it? I was like, truly confused. So I messaged her and I said, thank you so much for re your review. Do you mind if I ask like why it was four stars and like what we could have done to make it five stars? And she's like, no, I left you a five-star review. And I said, no, you didn't. <laughs> so for on her end, it was a complete mistake. She does. She was like, maybe I like pressed the wrong button. Um, so she went out of her way to call Airbnb and ask them to change it to five stars. And they said she couldn't change her review, but she could remove it. And so she asked me, she's like, I'm so sorry, but is it okay if I remove my review so you stay at the five-star average? She was really nice about it. And I said, yes, that's fine. So she removed it and then we stayed at, at the five-star average. Um, the other one was a one-star review and I can talk about that. Um, we, we had like a, a really, really bad experience with one of our early guests where, um, you know, they trashed the place, they broke things. Um, and we left each other a one-star review and they wouldn't admit to any of the damages. Um, and I went back with Airbnb so many times because I was like, oh, their, their, you know, review isn't accurate, right? Like what they were saying about my property. And they're like, well, that's their opinion, you know, and it's, it's fine. Like it's free speech, right? Like we have to let them say what they want to say. And this particular guest didn't have any reviews. And so my one-star review was all they had. Right. So when a host, if they want to book another property and a host sees their one star review, like most likely they're not going to accept it. So we've kind of screwed each other. And mm -hmm. so after a couple of weeks of trying to figure this out um, and after like not being upset anymore, I reached out to them and I was like, you know what, like this isn't good for either one of us. You know, like I understand you were there for your husband's birthday party. You had a lot of fun. You're a little bit more careless than you normally would have been. That doesn't mean they're a bad person. And that's who they are as a guest, like all the time. Right. Um, and that I just wrote that. And I was like, you know, I'm, I'm sorry you had this bad experience, but you know, hope your future Airbnb stays are better. And they messaged back and they said, you know what, I feel the same way. Like I, they were like, we were upset that you had charged us for all these things that we broke. And like, I'm sorry we broke them. So she admitted to breaking everything that she broke. Um, she's like, Oh, I heard that I could, remove my review and she's like would it be okay if we both remove our reviews of each other and I said yes that would be fine and so we removed our reviews of each other and that was that so there are ways and, and obviously if you truly have a nasty guest like you want to you don't want to like blindside the next host um mm -hmm. but I do think like we've all been 22 23 and we've all gone to house parties and we've all made mistakes and that doesn't mean you're a bad guest in general um, so depending on the situation, you know, I think it's, it's okay to, to remove reviews. Yeah, totally. And I would say, again, you came to them person to person, like from a humanistic standpoint, and regardless of whatever you're thinking in terms of the Airbnb business for anyone that's listening, that's all it really is. The guest experience is all about how you can make a memory for that specific person. And so from start to finish, whether it be your listing or into the post wrap and you're now debating and negotiating over reviews it's still all about their experience at the end of the day so hopefully these tips that jane shared help shape what your listing and your hosting experience looks like it's never going to be a straight shot but there are some really tactical tips jane that you gave today real quick the last question i have for you is what would you do differently so in launching and whatever it may be like what would you change? 
That's uh, a very good question. Um, and I've, I thought about that before we furnished our second property, like what would I have done differently with the first one? And um, one thing I would have done differently is to simplify our beds. And this sounds kind of funny, but in our first property, because I was trying to maximize number of guests, we could sleep in the space. So we have four bedrooms, but we can sleep 11. Um, so in that house, I have one king bed, one queen bed, two full size beds and three twin size beds. Uh, so when I'm purchasing bedding and comforters <laughs> and I have to have two extra sets for the cleaners, it's a little bit confusing. Um, and there was definitely a way I could have simplified that. So I would have removed one of those types of bedding. So in our second one, we just have king, queen king, queen, and twins. So we don't have any um, any full-size beds. So I would have just simplified the bedding. I will say that there are, I've learned that there's bedding now that have threads on the inside that are different colors depending on the bed size. Oh, I've heard that, yeah. So for anyone who's listening and you're thinking about having different types of, obviously now you've invested a significant amount of money into your different sets of linens for the bedrooms. But if you are listening and are launching another Airbnb, then you can look into that. I think it's a not sponsored, but host GPO uh, is an Airbnb kind of furnishing community that has a, a program with a linen supplier that does that. So um, Jane, thank you so much for all of the just tactical, tactical tips on how you can improve your average nightly rate. Is there anything that you are looking for that maybe someone else can help you out with or what deals are you buying next? Um, yeah, a couple of things. I think more on um, kind of like a, a personal or, or business level, I'm um, trying to uh, change my social media platform, not change, but enhance it, I guess. Um, I was talking to Josh about this earlier, but um, my Instagram can definitely use a refresh. And so if anyone out there is super savvy with, you know, digital creation or social media, um, has time to provide some tips that would be super helpful um, i'm happy to help you with your first or second or third short-term rental like any questions you have I'm, I'm happy to answer for you um i'm kind of in this space um in terms of real estate uh you know I, going forward i kind of want a good mix of long-term rentals and short-term rentals and it's kind of like you never know which one to buy next right so i've been so consumed with short-term rentals that that's what i've been looking for um, but I still kind of constantly want a, a decent portfolio of long-term rentals because that's truly passive, right? They're out of state and you have property managers, like you really don't think about them. Um, and mm -hmm. long-term, we really just want that passive income. And so, um, yeah, if you're in a, a long-term market that you think is performing really well for you and you have a nice team there, I'm happy to chat. <laughs> I love it. And where can people connect with you? Um, on Instagram, I am the investing mom. So that's probably the best way. Um, yeah. Okay. Well, her Instagram is on the screen right now. If you're watching this on the post play, hello to the future world. Uh, but her Instagram will also be linked down below. And again, if you liked content like this, I got to do the YouTube plug, but please give it a like, subscribe, all of that good stuff. Share this with someone who is starting their Airbnb or just started, or doesn't even matter, is in the Airbnb space, because I guarantee there are some tips in here that you haven't thought of that'll help boost your average nightly rate. 
Jane, I just want to say thank you again so much for all those tips. One day we will actually share a glass that I need a refill of in person. Uh, until then, thank you, Jane, and I'll see you maybe on a future one. Okay, sounds good. Thanks, Josh. All right. Cheers, everybody. Bye. Bye.